1: Hoping you're having a very pleasant Friday, welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Corey Miller and Ross Anderson, two good friends of ours here at Mormonism Research Ministry. They have written a book titled, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message, Confident Conversations with Mormon Missionaries and Other Latter-day Saints. Yesterday we were talking about the testimony that we will often hear from the LDS missionaries, and I was mentioning how, in my experience at least, whenever I hear them revert to their personal testimony, I usually find they did not have an answer to the question that I asked. I often want to let them know I'm not expecting these young people, which many of them are— I'm not expecting them to be omniscient. So if they don't have an answer, I try to put them at ease and say, you know, I get that. I don't have answers to everything either. But these are some things that concern me about what I've heard your church allegedly teaches. Please explain this to me. I've had Latter-day Saints say to me in response to some questions, I say, well, that doesn't interest me. And I try to politely let them know, well, it may not interest you, but it does interest me, and if I were to join your church, these are some things I would want to take Mm -hmm. into consideration. I can't just ignore them in your chapter, Corey, on page 19, about understanding this Mormon testimony, and we've talked about that a little bit. But in the last part of your chapter, you talk about how to share one's testimony, and you encourage people to use 1 John 5 as part of that response. Well, what first of all, what does 1 John 5 have to say, and how are these verses pertinent to a Christian's testimony?
2: Right. 1 John 5, 9 through 13, is the place where the word testimony is used more in a concentrated way than anywhere else in the whole Bible. Now, note, in the King James, it uses the term witness, and Mormons typically use the King James. New King James uses the same. But remember, these are English translations. Those in South America, Spanish translations. But the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word is Mar and it means testimony or witness and so i actually use the new international version or a different version and i'll sometimes point that out though that it's the same greek word and i'll have them read along with me so that they can see but i'll read this and i'll I'll first preface it by saying i've heard you bear your testimony several times and i too have a testimony and I would like to share with you what my testimony is, but first I want to read this scripture. And so in First John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13, it says this, and I emphasize every time it hits the word testimony or witness. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they do not believe in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. Here it is. God has given us eternal life, and his life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, it says with absolute confidence there, Bill, that you can know that you have eternal life. And for the Mormon, eternal life is the greatest gift of God. That's spending eternity with Heavenly Father. And I ask, do you have this testimony? If you died today, do you know that you would experience eternal life with Heavenly Father? If not, is God a liar? And then I repeat, and I say, I do know. I bear you my testimony, I know that I have eternal life, and I will spend eternity with Heavenly Father when I die, because I trust completely in Christ's work alone. And if your testimony doesn't agree with this testimony here, you have a different testimony and a different gospel.
1: I had a conversation with a young sister missionary in front of the Saratoga Springs Temple when they had their open house recently. I asked a very similar question. I was kind of surprised because she came back with the answer that she knew for sure. But yet, in order to come with that answer that she knew for sure, she was basing it primarily on this presupposition she had, that Heavenly Father loved her, as if that meant all those requirements that the LDS Church has laid down for its members didn't mean anything. (laughs) He just loves me. But there's more to it than that. I'm kind of concerned because if this young lady is typical of the newer version of Mormons that we're seeing now, how are we going to respond to that? Because they're thinking, well, Heavenly Father loves me. Now, my my response would have been, and I didn't feel that this was the situation to bring this up. But I would have probably, in in another situation, would have gone right to section one of the Doctrine and Covenants, where it says that God cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. And it seems like that seems to be the criteria, not your perception that Heavenly Father loves you. How are Christians to be prepared to respond to a Latter-day Saint who assumes that everything is okay and that they are going to get eternal life?
3: Yeah, uh, this came up the other day in a conversation I've had with some guys who spent a lot of time you know, sharing uh, out on the sidewalk with LDS people, and they're seeing the same thing with this younger generation, this sort of sense of pluralism or all, all, everybody's involved. And so their response was, so are you telling me you don't have to be baptized? In other words, find some commitment that's required that starts to unravel in light of their other commitments, the other things they understand that, yeah, you have to be baptized by proper authority why? Doesn't Heavenly Father love you? And I could, see, I could see how that could have some impact.
1: But here's what was fascinating in that conversation, which I, I would think, me being used to this, because I've had so many of these conversations, but for, let's say, a Christian who's not done this a lot, she had already admitted to me that in order to receive this eternal life, she has to keep the commandments. Oh, okay. She already admitted that to me. And then I asked her, well, how many commandments must you keep? She said all of them. Now, I felt okay, pretty good uh, about this yeah, because, sure. and I've told this story before on the show, I was with three of our interns from our church, and I'd already prepped them that this is how they're going to answer. And she answered in a textbook way, <laughs> and it kind of made me look good. I so, said, see, I told you this is what they're going to do. But yet at the same time, she admitted she wasn't really doing all that she should do, like many Latter-day Saints, trying and wanting to, but not really accomplishing it. But at the same time, it was frustrating because she also seemed to give us this perception that she had eternal life in the bag, simply because she thought Heavenly Father loved her. And I think you're right, Ross. Think of something that is a known requirement. One of the known requirements that I bring up is Does Heavenly Father love you to the point that you'll get eternal life if you don't pay your tithes? Most Latter-day Saints know that's an absolute requirement. You can't even get into the temple temple. unless you're a full tithe payer. Would you have any other ideas, Corey, that might help us as Christians to respond to the Latter-day Saint who may think that they do have eternal life in their future even though we know they're not living up to all the standards.
2: No, I think you're right on on this. Uh, usually I don't encourage deploying the testimony as tenacious or more tenaciously than the Mormon even does with First John chapter 5, verses 9-13, through 13, until they get to the end of listening to all the five or now four missionary discussions. And then you've earned the right to be heard, and now you can do a bit of teaching as well. And by that time, Bill, they've gone through the laws and the ordinances and the commandments mm-hmm. you know, that are part of the, the latter parts of the uh, missionary discussions. But suppose you don't get there, and, and suppose also, Bill, that probably some of our favorite approaches is going through the Book of Mormon, looking at the job to be done and by when the job must be done, uh, showing that it's mission impossible, that the Mormon gospel really is not good news at all. And that's when we deploy the gospel and deploy our own testimony. But suppose you don't have time for all that, you don't want, um, you know, to, to dig in with the sophistication of all of that. I think you're right on to bring up some of the commonly held, widely embraced commands that most Mormons will readily think of, being baptized, paying your tithe, those various things. And then, you know, you can say by that time, I've read through some of the Book of Mormon because you've asked me to. And I see all these passages that talk about commandment keeping. How many commands are there? Or which ones do you think is okay because Heavenly Father still loves you? Because you're right. A a lot of Mormons are going to say, look, if I'm wrong, I'm just sincerely wrong. I'm still a good person, Heavenly Father, still a loving Heavenly Father. And they think they're going to wing it. And this is why Paul talks about the use of the law in evangelism, that the law is there to bring about the knowledge of sin. And whether we do that through the Book of Mormon uh, and show them how the Book of Mormon shows mission impossible if you don't become perfect, or whether we do it through the Bible and show that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and the standard hasn't changed just because we're sinners. It's perfection. But the difference is, is we have the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have love. If you have the Son. Then you can know without a shadow of a doubt right now that if you died, you'd go spend eternity with Heavenly Father. That's celestial glory. No Mormon I've ever talked with can admit that because they know tomorrow has not yet come and I may mess up again. They're trusting in their own testimony, which is not the testimony of God.
1: While wow, there's so much in this book. We're going to have to skim through in, in the last few moments of this program to look at some of the other chapters that you have that were written by different authors. You have one, for instance, chapter three is an insider tour of the missionary experience by Matt Wilder, who, by the way, is the one playing that piano intro to our show. You also have Chapter Chapter 4, Missionary Lesson 1, The Message of the Restoration. You have Missionary Lesson 2, The Plan of Salvation, and you have Matthew D. Eklund. I should say that the previous one, The Message of the Restoration by Joel Falver. And then we also have Chapter 6, Missionary Lesson 3, The Gospel of Jesus Christ by Paul Nuremberg, and then Missionary Lesson 4, The Commandments by Neil Humphrey, and then you finish with Chapter 8, Missionary Lesson 5, Laws and Ordinances by Michael Flournoy. Now, all of these have experience as missionaries. I don't give you a whole lot of time to explain that, but why would these chapters also be important in, in, a, in a good addition to your book?
3: Right. They're important because they respond specifically to the chapters or the lessons in the preach my gospel curriculum boom there's five lessons in the future there'll be four but there's five lessons now and they respond specifically to the content of those lessons and each each author gives us that insider perspective and also shares with us their story that encourages us that hey maybe god can use it if i talk to missionaries
1: We've been talking to Corey Miller and Ross Anderson, authors of the book, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message, Confident Conversations with Mormon Missionaries and Other Latter-day Saints. Corey, where can a person find a copy of this book?
2: You can either go to www.mormonmissionarymessage.com and see all of our testimonies and bios and videos, uh, and you can order the book from Amazon or from the publisher right there, or you can buy it anywhere where books are sold. Just go straight to Amazon. So mormonmissionary.com, or just go to the publisher or go to Amazon.
1: Corey, Ross, thank you for being on with us. I think you've got a a book here that's worth reading, and I would strongly encourage our listeners to get a hold of it. It's titled Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message, Confident Conversations with Mormon Missionaries and Other Latter-day Saints. Thanks for being with us.